Many, if not most of you, are familiar with the three-sentence summary of every Jewish holiday. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. And that works for most holidays. It doesn't work so well for Yom Kippur, but it works for most holidays, and it seems as though it's modeled on Purim. Because the Purim story is the sort of quintessential story of the attempted annihilation of the Jews and the way they escape. But before I say something about the way they escape, I just want to do a very quick praises for those of you who don't know or don't remember the Purim story. Here are the basic outlines. There's a king. The king has an advisor. The advisor's name is Haman, and he hates the Jews. The king, for various reasons, deposes his queen. He needs a new queen. And the way he goes about finding a new queen is by holding a beauty contest. This is ancient Persia. <laughs> Esther, who is Jewish and has been raised by her older cousin Mordechai, enters the beauty contest and wins. She discovers that Haman wants to destroy the Jews, but she's afraid to approach the king because just the fact that she's his wife doesn't mean she actually has any latitude to ask him about anything other than maybe what he wants for the next feast. <laughs> so she's afraid to, and Mordechai says to her, maybe this is the reason that you are elevated to the royalty just for this purpose. And besides, if you don't do it, your house will suffer, will disappear, but salvation will come to us from somewhere else. So Esther fasts in fear, which is why to this day, many people observe Tani Esther, the fast before Purim. And then she goes before the king who is outraged and to make a short story even shorter, Haman and his cohorts end up dying, and the Jews are saved. One of the interesting things about the Megillah is even though divine providence is implied, Mordechai says, look, if you don't save us, we're going to get saved somehow, which is a statement of faith. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. And so I think... In part, there, there are sort of two ways to play this. One is you search for God in the hiddenness, but the other is you try to understand the extent to which human agency is a part of salvation. So how do the Jews get saved? They get saved as they do throughout history by masks and Machiavellianism. In other words, they have to manipulate things in the background, and they have to hide who they are. After all, Esther doesn't come out as a Jew until she has no choice. And it is a kind of manipulation to be the wife of the king and to say, this guy's going to get us, and she didn't even know if that would work. And throughout Jewish history, this is the way Jews have worked. Very often, they disguised who they were. You can think of all the stories that we know, for example, about Jews who saved themselves in the Shoah, in the Holocaust, by pretending they weren't Jews. 
about a month ago, a little less, I did the funeral for Rose Farkas, a beloved member of our congregation, and her niece got up and said, I want to tell you how Aunt Rose saved my father during the Holocaust. She said, Rose had blue eyes, and she was walking down the street with her younger brother, my father, when a Nazi grabbed my, my father and said, I'm taking this one in, he's a Jew. And Rose said, no, you're not, he's my Jew. I'm taking him in. I don't want you to get credit for my Jew. And so the Nazi said, okay, you can take him in. In other words, she had to hide who she was so that she could save her own brother. But she did, 20 years old. What presence of mind and what skill. But this is the way that Jews throughout their history worked. They either maneuvered behind the scenes or they masked who they really were. And when it didn't work, they were out of resources. One of the reasons why Jews were always accused of witchcraft and magic was because they didn't actually have public power, so people assumed they must have some kind of secret private power. And sure enough, by bribing, by coercing, by rewarding, by maneuvering, all those things, by favoring one ruler over another, somehow, somehow, Jews managed to survive. And the Purim story is a warning. It says, if Esther hadn't been beautiful, or Mordechai hadn't been clever, or the king hadn't been well disposed, the Jews would have died. In other words, as long as Jews don't have power, our lives hang by a thread. You may remember how the Exodus slavery started. It said, there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. Now there's the last Pharaoh like Joseph, so the Jews were okay. This Pharaoh didn't like Joseph or didn't know Joseph. All of a sudden, you got hundreds of years of slavery. Now I want you to put yourself in the mindset of Jews throughout most of our history. Why did all those Jews during the Inquisition convert, become conversos? Because they had two choices. They could hide or they could be exiled. So they chose masks, just like Quorum. The reason I'm telling you all this is not only so that we can understand some of the choices that our ancestors make and the sacrifices they made and the fear that they lived with constantly, every single day, but also so that you can understand how very different our world is from the Jewish world of most of history. Because we live in a world in which Jews can exercise power directly, not by hiding, not by maneuvering, but by saying, this is wrong, in a public voice, by having an army in Israel that can say, no, you can't do this. And that is unprecedented in the last at least 2,000 years. And all throughout Jewish history, and by the way, even before that, because the Purim story takes place before 2,000 years, before the destruction of the temple. But throughout Jewish history, that was not an option for the Jewish people. We cowered, we maneuvered, we hid, 
we hoped. But we had no means of directly affecting the political process or taking on a country that wished us harm. It's incredibly important when we see how uncomfortable people are with Jewish power to understand that the reason we are so uncomfortable is because there was none for thousands of years. I learned growing up the expression Shah still. I don't know if you know that expression. That was when somebody says something bad about the Jews, shush, still, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Because that fear was inculcated in us for generations and generations. Do you know this? This is a terrible, but a very revealing joke about the two Jews who are facing a firing squad. And one of them says, I don't want a blindfold. I refuse to have a blindfold. I want to see the people who are doing this to me. And the one standing next to him goes, don't make trouble. <laughs> but you hear what's behind that. It's like even in the face of the firing squad, you have to be afraid to make trouble. So I think Purim is an incredibly important holiday for the Jewish people. Not because it teaches us what is, but because it teaches us how not to go back to what was, how not to be afraid, how not to cower, how to speak up, how to understand that Jewish power in this world is a good thing, a necessary thing. And God knows we all know what has happened in the world when we didn't have it. So, yeah. They tried to kill us, and we survived. On Purim, let's eat. Shabbat Shalom. That was for the let's eat part, I assume. That was the, uh, <laughs> that was the Kiddush applause. We turn now to page 204 for Ein Kelohenu.